0: Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. The first offering of the platform is a public speaking course called Teach the Geek to Speak. To learn more about it, you can go to teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Sam Oliva, and she started out in aerospace engineering, working for several companies, before deciding to strike out on her own as a technical writer. I'm interested to learn more about her decision to start her own business, why she chose technical writing, and what her future plans are. Welcome to Teach the Geek Interview, Sam.
1: Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here.
0: Wonderful. So first question, I saw from your background you got a degree in aerospace engineering. What was the motivation to get that degree?
1: Yeah, so that was my life goal. Um, From very, very young to, uh, well, when I got my degree, um, I was going to be an aerospace engineer and I was going to build rocket ships to go to Mars, basically. That was my goal. And so I went to school, I got my degree, and I actually started out um, designing turbo machinery or jet engines.
0: Okay, nice. Mm -hmm. So you started doing that straight out of school. So the, the job that you wanted was the job that you ended up doing right out of school.
1: Uh, Basically, yeah, I went more into the um, airplane route rather than the rocket ship route, but similar enough, uh, still doing fluid dynamics and thermodynamics. Um, So yeah, I was very lucky and that that happened really easily for me.
0: (laughs) Nice. When it came to the job that you had, what did you like about them? And what did you not like about them?
1: Sure. um, I really loved the application, right? So Designing jet engines was really awesome. It was it was such a cool product. I learned a ton about fluid dynamics. I learned a ton about working in a team. Um, how the entire R and D process works, um, or research and design process works. Um, so that was awesome. The things I didn't like so much about it were because it has it's such a intense application. Um, it has a lot of safety requirements, all sorts of regulations. So it was all sorts of going through and making sure all the checkboxes are checked and um, all of that bureaucratic uh, stuff that you have to go through inherently with with that sort of industry. Um, that wasn't my favorite part.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I get you. I worked in medical devices and, and you know, uh, medical devices are all FDA regulated. So there's a lot of paperwork that's involved. I remember, I, especially at one of the companies I was at, we used to have to do you know, write the protocols and then write the reports. But every time there was a new revision of the, I guess the template you're supposed to use for the protocol or the report. If you didn't use the appropriate template, then you had to do it all over again with the correct template. That, you know that used to make me so so annoyed. <laughs> like, sure,
1: sure. Like, when you spend all that effort and time into it, and then you have to redo it at the end, you know yeah, that's rough.
0: <laughs> you know we have to we had to bring the those documents to document control, and then they get the you know the yay or nay as to whether you use the right pro the, the right template. And they, they send it back to you. you. Use the wrong template. The template changed last week. It's like, oh come on, man. Is this, is <laughs> so close. <laughs> I got to do all this crap over again for real. Oh <laughs> yeah. For I, I, sure, I, I, for sure. Yeah, I hear you on that one. When it when it came to you change, so I'm, I'm assuming that you didn't stick with the same company that you that you were at when you graduated school. So you probably changed Correct. companies. And so, in, if if that's the case, what was the motivation for you to change companies?
1: Yeah, so I changed companies a couple times. Um, The first time I changed was just because I I needed to move. Um, My husband found another job and wanted to move closer to family. So I I got a job closer to family. Um, The second time I chose to choose uh, excuse me i changed companies i wanted to go more into the green tech space Um, it's kind of funny my very one of my very first jobs as a high schooler um, was actually as a lab tech um, for a long-term ecological research facility called harvard forest so i've always been an environmentalist at heart and that was where I, like, studied arthropods, which are like ants and beetles, spiders, pitcher plants, all all those fun things. Um, So I've always had in the back of my head, oh, it'd be really cool to work in green tech, um, especially against climate change and all of that. So my final job change before I started my company was to get into a green tech company um, where I was the R&D engineer for um, enthalpy wheels, which are basically energy recovery devices that you put in commercial building HVAC systems.
0: Okay, so high school it was all about green, but then you always you also had that idea to to build rocket ships and went to Mars. So aerospace it is, and you did that for a while, and now you're back to green. It's like full circle.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it it has worked out really well. It's kind of funny. You really can choose whatever you want to do as long as you uh you you do it in the right way, I guess, or if you as long as you have the right background for it, um, and you can use your knowledge to your advantage. Gotcha. For sure.
0: All right. So at some point, I mean, you mean, you've worked at these various companies, you've, you've, you've made changes based on the situation at the time, but at, eventually you decide to go off on your own and start your own business. What was the motivation to do that?
1: Yeah, so I at my last engineering job, I was the like I said, the R and D engineer for the product, and so I ended up writing this paper um, for the company regarding my work there, and it was actually published in a peer reviewed journal, a scientific journal, which was huge for me. That was a, a huge career milestone, and I realized in the course of writing it um, how much I loved pulling all that data together and revealing the implicated data. To the audience so writing out the report and then sharing it and being peer reviewed and and getting that validation, basically, for my work. That was fantastic. I loved it. Um, And I've always enjoyed writing. It's always been a passion of mine. And right around the same time, I also became very ill, unfortunately. Um, Luckily, it wasn't it wasn't too long of an illness, but it was uh, significant enough where it made me really stop and think about where I was, what I was doing with my life and what I wanted to be doing. Um, I had decided that I wanted to have a bigger impact. Um, I wanted to have a bigger hand in our fight against climate change and for planetary health, um, and in green tech. And so I figured, okay, I'll, I'll start my business. And that way I can help a whole bunch of different companies, green tech companies, engineers, and scientists get their work out and, uh, propel their technologies forward for the benefit of all. Right. Um, for for our entire planet's benefit.
0: You know, I probably should have asked this before, but what exactly is green tech?
1: Yeah, great question. So what I consider green tech is anything that is either very, very low carbon or no carbon footprint um, or something that helps us get there or renewable energies. Um, So for example, wind wind turbines, um, solar panels, um, anything of that nature basically. I, I know I, I recently learned of this really cool company where they built a digester. So you put in food waste, basically, into the digester, and it comes out with this fertilizer that you can use to make more food. Um, so anything that promotes that sort of um, lifestyle, that that shift for green tech, or excuse me, for the planet's health.
0: Gotcha. So you had this interest in, in writing after developing or writing that article that was publish in a peer-reviewed journal, you know, you, you, had, you had two choices. You could start your own business with technical writing as the focus, or you could find a job as a technical writer. What was the reason that you started the business as opposed to just looking for a job as a technical writer?
1: Yeah, so um, in addition to wanting to have a bigger impact, I also didn't want to work for someone else anymore. I wanted to start my own thing. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I've said this before, where people talk about like an entrepreneurial spirit. And before I never really understood what that meant or what, you know, if that was even a real thing, but I think it really is because I've always wanted to own something. I've always wanted to start my own thing. Um, so I decided, well, why not now? Right. So I started my business and I've loved it. Um, I get to dictate how it runs. I, you know, set up all the systems and it's plenty of hard work. Sure. Um, lots of hours, definitely, um, and effort and sweat and tears, but it's definitely worth it at the end, um, to call something it's truly my own, um, which is quite a great feeling. (laughs)
0: I got you. I, I felt the same way. I didn't want to be in the cubicle anymore, firstly. Yeah. So I, don't, I didn't want to have to travel somewhere and sit in the damn cubicle. But not only that, I also wanted to focus on things that I wanted to focus on as opposed to what a company said I had to focus on. So I, I fully, I, I can relate to you there for sure. So then you have this, you you decided you're going to start your own business. It's going to be a, a technical writing business for for green tech companies. How did you actually make it happen?
1: yeah great question so I actually got my first job through it's all about who you know right so it's all about networking it's all about meeting new people um excuse me (coughs) allergies um all about meeting new people so a friend of a friend basically was looking for a technical writer for their engineering group and I said well you know I'd love to start I'm not a I don't have the technical writing background necessarily, but I have been writing in my engineering job my entire career. So at that point, I had been an engineer for nearly a decade. I had written all sorts of reports, you know, articles, you name it, SOPs, manuals, et cetera. So I started out just writing um, for this company that happened to be looking for a technical writer and they gave me a shot and it worked out really well for both of us. Um, So from then on, it was just meeting more people, networking, um, getting great testimonials, making sure the client is happy and they're getting what they need and want and, and um, giving intelligent suggestions to them and, and making sure that their message is coming across clearly. Um, that, that was basically how it worked out.
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So when it, also when it comes to the, 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 the companies that you work with, are there certain documents that you work on for them or is it kind of just whatever they need help with?
1: Yeah, so sort of a mix. Um, I have recently made the shift within the last six months or so to specifically only scientific documentation. So experimental reports, research reports, um, white papers and application notes, which are basically like tech notes um, on how their product works. Before it was kind of anything, Whenever anybody was like, oh, you know, I need this written and it's kind of related to science, I'd be like, okay, sure, you know, it gets me more experience. But now I've kind of honed in. Um, so I specifically do scientific documentation that an engineer or scientist might need um, to support their work.
0: Gotcha. You know, for maybe actually, this is, this is just one time. So with my former employer, they wanted a, a white paper written and they asked me to do it. And I said, okay. And I did it. And then they wanted revisions. And then I I made the revisions and then they wanted more revisions. Essentially, what ended up happening is for damn near any sentence that I wrote in that paper, they wanted, well, not they, one person in the company particularly wanted a citation for that statement. So it took me forever, essentially, to finally finish that document. (laughs) It started at maybe 25 citations, and then it got up to maybe close to 125 citations. (laughs)
1: well that is a really well-referenced document wow 800 citations that's not so many (laughs) yeah
0: and and yeah just and and just for a white paper this wasn't a peer-reviewed journal article this was right oh my goodness yeah
1: that's that's intense that's a little intense (laughs) definitely
0: intense intense isn't the word that the engineer that required all the citations a pain in the ass sam that's what
1: (laughs) sure sure yeah um i mean i think i am a big proponent of uh, proving backup to your statements, right? Any kind of data or literature review you do. Um, I think (laughs) a hundred or so citations that that's a bit much. Um, nobody's actually going to need to look through a hundred citations to understand what your message is, especially in a white paper. Um, but well, I guess that, that person you were working with had really, really high expectations for um, for
0: your white paper, I guess. No, that's not it. He just had nothing else better to do. And so, oh,
1: well, <laughs> that's that a different you, story then.
0: <laughs> I, I need, more cite- we need more citations. This guy wasn't even the head of the company. The head of the company just said, yeah, just get, get more citations. I, it was the first and yeah. last time I ever worked on such a paper. I, so I applaud you for doing that type of work. Hopefully with the people you work with, they don't require hundred over 100 citations for for your scientific papers. Or the the papers that you work on, because that's that's a lot of work just in and of itself finding all the damn citations.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. And and it's interesting because I'm. It's funny. I'm usually the other side of it. I'm usually saying, you know, you said the statement. Where's your Where's your backup? You know, where's your proof? So I'm usually the one saying, okay, what's the citation here um, when you give me information? Versus the other way around where you were being told, you know, I need more citations. So I'm, I'm the person asking for citations, but, um, definitely not 25 or more. That's a lot <laughs> for oh, a white paper.
0: Okay. So but, you can relate to that engineer. So you're the pain in the ass typically in the situation.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm making, I'm validating their data. Basically I'm saying, okay, I will write this for you. I will get your message out there, but you need to prove to me that it, it follows the scientific method and your research is, is valid basically.
0: Gotcha. So when you work with these companies, I'm assuming that you're working with the people that are responsible for you know, developing the, the data that you're going to write about. What issues do you typically come across when you work with these type of people to get the, the papers out?
1: Yeah, so generally, like you said, I work with the actual developers. So it's the scientists and the engineers that are actually doing the research. Um, I don't generally run into too many Issues. The biggest challenge I sometimes face is getting everyone on board for reviews. Um, So I'll send out the draft to the team um, about a week in advance of the the first review, and making sure everybody actually reads it and brings their feedback to the review meeting. That's probably the most important um, thing that a client can do. Uh, You know, it depends on how much of a hand they want in the paper, but just to make sure. All of the numbers are correct. All of the calculations and derivations are exactly what they're looking for. It's super important that they come to the review prepared. And that's not always the case. So just making sure everybody's on board is usually the challenge.
0: Oh man, you gotta I gotta read the thing too. I gotta give you the <laughs> I gotta give you the information. I gotta read it. Come on, man.
1: <laughs> just twice. I just asked for it twice. We have two reviews. Twice? Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the first review, that's the meaty one. That's the one that's, you know, make sure all the data is correct. Make sure all the numbers are correct. My conclusions and discussion are what you're looking for. And then the final one is more for formatting. You know, how do you, what do you think of this image? What do you think of this formatting? Um, Less heavy stuff. Um, But yeah, it it is just, especially with bigger teams making sure everybody who actually wants to stay um, actually participates can be challenging.
0: Oh man, I'm green lighting everything. Whatever she wrote is good with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, signed off. <laughs> it looks good. It looks good. It looks it looks professional. She 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 used words and and put sentences together. Yeah, yeah I'm with this.
1: <laughs> let's, let's get it out sure. there.
0: <laughs> so, when it comes to I guess effective technical writing, what are some tips that you can offer to to do it to do it effectively?
1: Yeah. So the thing that i find or that i see frequently is that scientists and engineers tend to hide their results it's it's amazing to me they go through all of this effort to put together such an amazing experimentation you know they have a great hypothesis they put together their experiment they make sure it's airtight um the numbers are coming out, are credible, their their sensors are all calibrated, you know, everything's put together and then they hide their results. So it's difficult to find out what actually happened at the end. Um, when you're writing a scientific paper, don't hide your results, that you wanna make sure that you spotlight it. So tying your results in throughout your, um, in the introduction, for example, you can tie your results in by saying, here's the specific problem I am trying to solve. And here's what I think will happen. So specifically stating the baseline case and showing why that's not acceptable and why you need to change it. Um, and then throughout the paper, referencing back to that baseline and making sure the audience truly understands, here's the, here's the challenge I'm solving um, and here's why. And then finally in the results discussion and conclusions, conclusion section at the end of the document, making sure you re- reiterate that baseline and then show why the results are so significant or not significant, right? So showing what happened and being super clear about it. Um, my final tip is tying your result, your most important results in throughout your abstract and into your title of the paper, especially for scientific papers. It should be very, very clear when I'm looking at your title and your abstract, what the problem is and how you solved it what your biggest result is. Um, So many engineers and scientists just hide their results in like huge textual paragraphs. They don't have any charts or, you know, they don't think they need to have certain plots or images. And that's just not the case. You you need to show and tell um, basically what's going on.
0: Oh man, plots and images. Oh, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I yep, do this yep. experimentation, and see, this is why people have to hire people like you because you'll you'll go through the that 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 process of developing the plots and the and the and the graphs, and you know highlighting the results and all that. I just give you the data and be like, okay, this is it. This was the result. You know, have at it. Make it look nice. Make it look presentable. And, and and away we go. So yeah, people are definitely. Sure. We, we definitely need people like like you in the world. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. I know you work primarily on, on technical documents, but when it comes to an audience that is technical or non technical, how would you change or if, or would you change your your approach to developing documents for both audiences?
1: Yeah, great question. So. In general, I am a fan of scientific documentation that is completely accessible by anybody who's interested. Um, I understand that in certain applications or certain industries, there there's just jargon that you can't get away from, or there's certain terminology that you, you need to use that may not be um, widely known. Um, but my general rule of thumb is I have a little sister and she's almost 12 and she's very, very bright. If she can't understand what I'm writing, something's wrong. I need to fix it. It needs to be super clear. Scientific documentation, no matter how technical, should not be pushing away anybody who might be interested. That's the entire point of sharing your findings, right, is so that everybody else who is interested can see what you did, how you did it, and either repeat it or work off of that, jump off of that starting point with something new. Um, So I, in general, don't change my writing style um, other than the tone, really. Sometimes in less technical documentation, I'll be more of a casual tone or a casual voice, Um, but usually I stick to the same formal scientific writing that I usually do and just ensure that it's super clear uh, and isn't obnoxious with the amount of jargon or, you know, random terminology. And if there is a lot of jargon, having some sort of index at the end of your document will help immensely for anybody who's either new to the industry or is just interested in it or, you know, somebody like my little sister who happens upon it and she wants to know what your results are and what your experimentation was, she should be able to read it as well.
0: Got it. So make your documents so that a smart 12-year-old can read them. That's for (laughs) sure. Correct. But if it's a dumb 12-year-old, you out of luck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I I believe anybody who is interested, that means you're smart enough to learn. Right. So if, if you're interested, you'll learn it and then you're you're, you're in, basically, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what, when you were, you were talking about making it understandable and, and trying to minimize the technical jargon, that really was the motivation for me even starting Teach the Geek, well, at least when it comes to public speaking. I had to give presentations every month in front of management, and many of the, manage- in fact, most of the management weren't technical. But those first few presentations I gave were terrible because I use <laughs> all those technical jargon. I didn't take into account the fact that they're not technical I may very well not know what any of these terms mean, but I, I didn't care I just got up there and I said what I had to say and then I got out of there as quickly as possible. But what ended up happening is I would get questions Afterwards, I thought I had answered during the presentation, but because I didn't put the presentation in such a way that these non-technical people could understand, now I was getting these questions. Essentially, I was wasting everyone's time by not taking their, I guess, their needs and, and, and wants into account when preparing my presentation.
1: Right. It's all about facilitating it for the audience that you're presenting to, right? And it's the same for writing as well. It's writing for the audience that's going to read it. Yeah. In your case, listen to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. When it comes to your business, what are your, do you have any future plans for it? And if so, what are they?
1: Yeah. Um, so we're currently growing, um, which is exciting, or in the very, very first stages of growing. So uh, growing in number of clients, growing in uh, followers and everything. So that's exciting. Um, I'm hoping to eventually perhaps hire a few more technical writers um, just to help. With the with the workload, uh, but that's that's probably not this year. Probably next year. But anyways, yeah, that's that's basically my plan is to just continue growing, continue working for green tech companies, making sure that we give scientists and engineers plenty of their time back. Instead of having to spend the time writing and looking for citations and everything, <laughs> um, they can actually spend the time doing engineering. You know, the things they were they went to school for, the things they enjoy doing. Um, So that's that's my overall plan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Send the send all the work your way. and You'll find the citations and make it so that a a smart 12 year old can understand it. That's 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 where you come in. Absolutely. This has been great. Thank you so much for for taking time to speak with me today, Sam. How can people get in touch with you?
1: Oh, sure. Um, So my website is Evergreen-Ink.com, so it's E-V-E-R-G-R-E-E-N, or Evergreen-I-N-K, as in Inkwell.com, um, And there, you'll, you'll find everywhere that we are, so all of our social media links, my email, you can contact me, um, and all that, that good stuff.
0: Excellent. Well, everybody, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson, founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. Consider checking out the public speaking course, Teach the Geek to Speak you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com again that's teachthegeek.com also i have the excuse assessment tool and that's helpful in prioritizing the solutions to excuses based on the severity of the excuses to get more information on that or to download it you can go to download.teachthegeek.com again that's download.teachthegeek.com until next time take care and stay safe thanks sam thank you Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time,